Welcome to Valley Talk. I'm your host, Heather Stark. With me this week is, uh, this is getting to be routine, Dwayne Davidson, uh, our state treasurer. <laughs> Welcome, Dwayne. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, who knew? You know, I, I think we did our first interview before the whole COVID-19 thing and the fallout oh, before, that. Yes. yes. And then, yes. boom, that that hit. And so we've just been bugging you all over the place to tell us about the money picture. I mean, Every day I look at headlines and I think, oh, my gosh. You know, surprisingly, I don't see a lot about the financial fallout in King County. Maybe I'm just not reading the right places, but I see a lot about the state and what's happening with the state. Um, can you just give us a wrap-up of our, our financial picture right now? Well, uh, yes. Uh, actually, you know, some of this is yet to be determined because as we uh, continue to uh, 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 deal with this uh, current uh, pandemic and uh, the classifications of different uh, you know counties and and how uh, they can uh, uh, go to work uh, it is uh, uh, it's going to be interesting to see as we go through uh, these next several months of uh, of uh, for unemployment levels uh, for because uh, when we did open up some counties and allowed uh, things to start happening there was an immediate effect to the uh, uh, to uh, the, the revenues that shot right up, but people were uh, uh, willing to start going out and spend, uh, and they've been spending online and things, but they were able to go back out and spend locally, and we saw the immediate effect of that. Um, and now, as uh, caseloads are going up and the governor's uh, possibly going to be taking us down to more restrictive bases, it's all going to be interesting to see how this all plays out to where we uh, uh, where we finally wind up when the legislature comes back into session again. I personally uh, ask for um, the uh, uh, officially that the legislature come back to session uh, to the governor's office along with the other lot of elected officials. I think there's you know, there's quite a few members of the legislature that want to come back because there's a few really big pressing issues I think that need to be talked about. But uh, it appears that that's not going to happen, and uh, some of this stuff will need to linger until they get here for their regular session. And uh, I think that that's a little bit unfortunate. Which is until, excuse me, but that regular session isn't until January. Yes, and and there's there's things like the unemployment fund, uh, with you know the uh, uh, with the uh, fraud that occurred, uh, and uh, the, the, that uh, of course that investigation is ongoing uh, now to see where we might possibly land on that, but. Uh, um, uh, there are uh, certain issues. The rainy day fund, uh, we had that at uh, $1.6 billion. Now, I can tell you that everybody that knows me knows that I'm a fierce uh, a protector and watchdog of the rainy day fund and advocate for its use uh, uh, a great deal, of, uh, and, and most importantly, for it to be protected and not be spent on things that do not qualify as you know uh, for rainy day purposes. Uh, however, this is one. This is, this is the type of situation that uh, would allow for. This is what we have a rainy day fund for, and um, we had 1.6 billion in it at the beginning of COVID. Um, before the legislature went home, they appropriated a draw out of it of 200 million. So now we're at about 1.4 billion. And uh, this is a this is what that fund is set up for uh, for um, uh, situations like this. Because, uh, you know, the, the latest revenue shortfall that we had officially forecast is, what is it, 8.9? I think that was 8.9 billion over the next two biennium. And um, uh, we need to have the legislature here to try to address uh, some of these uh, issues about uh, the solvency of the, uh, uh, of the unemployment fund. Uh, what are we going to do about the shortfall? Um, uh, some of the elected officials took certain measures. Um, we were called upon the governor, and we reciprocated by uh, cutting our budgets. I can tell you that the, um, the treasurer's office is a unique agency as far as the state's concerned because we are not actually paid out of the general fund. Uh, the the, uh, the uh, state treasurer's office operations are conducted through a uh, revolving fund, uh, and we charge a fee to uh, those that we invest monies for, the different agencies that we uh, have uh, 
and and uh, we 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 charge a fee on those balances, um, and that's how we're paid for. So it's almost kind of proprietary in nature. Um, that fee uh, has been uh, was reduced uh, uh, down to uh, 32 uh, basis points uh, last July, and now I've cut it down to uh, quarter or 25 uh, a, a quarter of one percent, uh, basically um, uh, rate, which is the uh, uh, and now down to uh, uh, 20 basis points, which is the uh, lowest it's ever been in state history. Which hopefully is, uh, you know, that's generating an estimated about 13 million dollars available in uh, cash in the various agencies' budgets that would have paid my office that. Uh, just in an attempt to try to uh, help alleviate this, we uh, we also uh, 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 stopped the colas from going into effect to our non-bargaining people, uh, those non-union uh, employees that we uh, could, including myself, and I'm giving uh, my uh, pay raise that would have, uh, uh, would have, well, is going to go in effect. You can't stop it because basically in the statute, and so I'm uh, uh, I'm uh, forfeiting uh, my pay raise. Uh, uh, different elected officials have um, chose to do various uh, different things with their uh, with their amount, uh, even though it's not going to make a Big difference. Uh, I'm doing it more for the symbolism of it all. I'm giving my uh, uh, pay raise to the rainy day fund <laughs> to try to set the tone to the yeah, legislator yeah. that uh, well, we need to fund this. We need to fund this rainy day fund. Okay, I'm going to stop your role here because you clearly know what you're talking about, and I, as you know from our previous discussions, I'm not a, I'm not a big money person. I'm I'm one of those people oh, yeah. that you know I I need things kind of spelled out. Um, okay. There have been a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of uh, writings, there's been a lot of commentary, there's been a lot, I've interviewed a couple of state representatives, and everybody wants that state, uh, that special session of the legislature. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. um, I don't know the name of the organization, it is a conservative organization, I believe, um, they actually have started an initiative, I think it's 1114, um, mm-hmm. where somebody needs to um, um, look at the rules for um, the governor's emergency powers and set some sort of limitations on them. And again, I'm not, uh, you know, a lawyer, I don't know, but a a, a all of these things all spell up to, you know, people want more input into what's happening right now and the decisions that are being made. And I'm going to say this, you don't have to. (laughs) And, And apparently it's a very political a political call. That's what I've read. Mm-hmm. That if you bring the special session in, then uh, it could affect the elections in November. And so mm-hmm. um, there is some thought that the reason the powers that be are not calling that special session is strictly political. So I'm throwing that out there uh, because everybody I've talked to, from legislators to you to everybody, they're calling for that special session, and it's just not happening. And so that one, that's that's sketchy in my view as a taxpayer. You know, I think, wait a minute, shouldn't there be nope. more than you know a handful of people who are making these decisions? So that well, and the governor me. can personally. The governor can personally call. Uh, uh, that's in his power. He can he could call a special session, uh, all on oh, his own. I know that for a fact because because uh, but, but apparently he doesn't want to. And uh, I know that for a fact because uh, uh, when the gov- when the governor was campaigning for president um, so much and it was out of state, our state law has uh, lines of succession and um, and being out of state uh, makes you not capable of. Uh, you know, running state government, and it goes down through the line. And uh, and Secretary of State Habib was uh, uh, out of state mm-hmm. sometimes at the same time. Anyway, where I'm getting with this is in my term of office. A lot of people are surprised about this. In my term of office, I have served as governor for 30 days, cumulative total, in, in different uh, stretches of period of time. Sometimes just for a weekend, sometimes for uh, a, a few more days than that, uh, which is kind of extraordinary for a treasurer for it to come down to me because I think I'm fourth in the line. It goes governor. Lieutenant Governor, Secretary of State, and uh, Treasurer, and uh, and yet uh, uh, I, I don't know if there's a Treasurer's ever served that much time as a Governor, and so I needed to know what some of my responsibilities were, even though there's not much because uh, it was, and during a time it was 
uh, first of all, back when he was running for president, and none of this COVID stuff was going on, and uh, and it was pretty quiet and out of session. But they told me that one of the powers you do have is to call the legislature back in session. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I'm kind of, you know, again, out here in the, the, you know, the real world, you know, where decisions are not made and all we can do is look at the decisions that are being made and scratch our heads. I want, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just a flummoxed. I'm flummoxed. I mean, if there was ever a need for a special session, in my view, if there was ever a need for all of our representatives, as chaotic as that can be together, um, now is it. And I just don't get it. And I'm thinking, Maybe in some ways the thinking I, – I, I have absolutely no doubt that it is a political decision because it seems like at every level, on both sides of the aisle, all decisions are political anymore. Um, and so I don't doubt that for one moment that it is a political decision. But as a taxpayer, as a citizen, you know, I just think, wow, you know, wow, we need to get as many minds involved as we can on all of this. And um, so I'm just flummoxed by that. So we'll see what happens with that initiative 1114. Um, of course, you know, wheels uh, turn slowly there. But in light of no special session, we're just paying things. I mean, each department decides. The governor says, okay, I mean, I know he, he sent out memos saying, tell me what you would cut if you had to cut 20%, um, but I haven't mm-hmm. heard that any actual cuts have been demanded. Um, and what, no, what's well, going only on so with can do. money? Yeah, yeah, there's only, like with my budget, there's so many, because I'm separately elected, there's only so much you can do. I, you know, reassured him that I think I'm doing everything possible in my little department of really it's actually in the scheme of things as far as state uh, agencies the treasurer's office because we deal with uh, you know with financial transactions and most of that has been computerized uh we have a relatively small staff comparatively with uh you know about 60 uh, fdes uh 60 employees full-time uh as compared to just about any other state agency and uh uh and yet we are uh, several fdes um below where we were and we've purposely not filled those to comply even though i'm not mandated by um by anything the governor's saying and in fact we're not even paid out of the general fund uh we have uh, uh, uh i think we have gone above and beyond what he's asked other agencies to do to um to try to alleviate some of the situation ourselves but there's only so much we can do without the legislature and uh i think it's Really unfortunate, like you said, Heather. You know, there, there's a precedent for this because if you go back to uh, the financial crisis of '09, uh, when we had so many bank failures and we went into that, uh, you know, a banking kind of crisis that we had gone through, uh, the legislature did come back in special session. So that isn't that far back in history. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, there's a precedent for this. So you're you're, you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. I, I don't understand it. Well, uh, and, and I'm flummoxed by it. But um, let, that being said, uh, and, and you know what? I mean, if, if, other, if our listeners are flummoxed too, call your representatives. I mean, write the governor. I mean, we do have a voice. It may be a very tiny little voice in the, in the way these wheels move, but we do have a voice. So if you think there should be a special session, write the governor's office and CC your representatives. Um, that, oh, there, get me my soapbox. <laughs> but, but we do have some we we do have some voice whether they listen or not is is their their call absolutely um, the, they do the, listen if you call the other thing, yeah the other thing that you started talking about that i really wanted to hit hard is the unemployment fund what those funds now i you know what a mess what a mess that has been i have talked with people who have I, I mean, and I don't believe for one moment the numbers that they're touting now because I've talked to so many people who said, no, I've, I applied in the middle of March for unemployment and I didn't get, it was denied, it was denied. Then they asked for paperwork. I sent them the paperwork. They sent me back and, and they resolved it by saying, oh, no, you don't qualify or you need to reapply if you want us to consider this again. You know, so I think a lot of this stuff, again, my opinion, is just being round filed for whatever reason. And then, good, we can cross that name off the list. That case is resolved. And I think that happens in all bureaucracies during any kind of a crisis or whatever. So I'm not trying to just pick on unemployment. However, I see it happening. It's happening. I've talked with people where it is happening. I've talked with people who have gotten no unemployment whatsoever, even though they've been applying for months. 
And um, a couple weeks ago, I interviewed uh, Representative Goodman, and he said that like 90% of, of all the work that the legislative assistants are doing right now is trying to help people with their unemployment. It's just a mess. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the debacle, they, they sent it. I'm, I, and again, I'm being really upfront here. I'm probably going to get in trouble. But, you know, one thing, I'm, I'm not particularly uh, savvy when it comes to the Internet, but I'm pretty sure that if I get an email from a prince in Nigeria, I'm not going to send him money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure about that. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm oversimplifying that. But still, that was a huge debacle. Um, I think they've finally come out and said that the actual amount was $650 million that the state gave mm-hmm. away. Um, mm-hmm. And then they have come through and said that they have recovered about half of that. But I don't know what That's recovered what I've heard. means. You know, I, does that mean yeah. that we actually have the cash back in the bank? Not quite yet is what I understand. And I, I want to tell I, – I know that this is not going to be uh, uh, music to uh, your listeners' ears because I, I always – when I'm listening to an interview, the the one thing I would hate is when uh, the when the guest says, uh, you know, not my responsibility. But unfortunately, on this particular <laughs> issue, and uh, and and uh, I, I really uh, all that stuff I've heard you uh, just you just say, I, I have also uh, heard um, people say, well, you're the state treasurer. What do you mean you don't know? It's very odd. We're not the only state that's been set up this way because I've been inquiring with some of my other state treasurers to find out why is this a way. And I was kind of interested to see that there's other states. Uh, Utah was the, was the most recent one that I uh, was in uh, dialogue with their state treasurer, Dave Damshin, about, uh, uh, about how it is organized in Utah. I do not know why this is that the treasurer's have, office has, the treasurer myself has such great broad responsibilities over the safeguarding of state funds. But when it comes to the unemployment fund, because those funds are not tax dollars per se, but it's, it's basically an insurance fund that's paid for by the employers and everything. And they want, I guess that they wanted to have, I'm trying to, I'm trying to come up with maybe why the legislature set it up this way many, 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 many years ago, but uh, it has complete uh, eminency for me that they, they do not, uh, they do not have to answer questions from the treasurer. They do not have to uh, uh, disclose uh, bank account information. That is something that's uh, separate from uh, the, the the treasury. So, it's ran by a gubernatorial appointee. Uh, the um, uh, the office is, and uh, I'm hearing the same kind of uh, information that uh, uh, you are about the recovery rate. Uh, that uh, some of that might be able to be. Uh, it might be in custody, but might have been seized by authorities, and and will eventually be returned to the uh, to the unemployment fund. But uh, I do worry, though, however, because you know, just in my role here in the state, I do worry about the about the long term uh, um, stability of that account. I just don't know if we continue to pay unemployment the way we are paying it. How we are not going to be into a situation where we don't have to. Uh, 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 borrow uh, money to uh, uh, keep it afloat, which is never ideal. And then what I'm well, really especially worried about is the rate that will be charged to the employers just at a time that they might be emerging from everything that they've been through that the unemployment rates will go up and they will have that burden on top of any other burden that might be coming down the road. Because I can tell you one thing, I'm hearing a lot from private businesses out there uh, from uh, I and they are hurting badly. Yes. They're closing. Yeah. Yep. And I think that, you know, everybody talks about, you know, Amazon or whatever making a killing during the COVID, but we forget that so many of our businesses, I mean, the Amazons, the giant corporations, those are tiny, tiny little numbers um, as far as the actual numbers of businesses that are out there. And so yep. many of our, our businesses are small. You know, they they can't take a hit like this. And I'm concerned that whenever our, our, we seem to get into a financial pinch, we think, well, we'll just tax the businesses. We'll just tax them because they're all rich, um, which makes me wonder why more people don't know about how a small business runs. But, you know, having run a small business, I mean, oh, my gosh, uh, the, the government especially is just, I mean, they're pulling money off of you left and right. And the margins yeah, and for most, oh, yeah, and margins are very small. Tax, 
which already, and, you know, I, I, I think it's still the same, but actually it is an insurance policy. You as an employer pay the premium. The employee does not. The employee does not pay a dime of the unemployment uh, tax. And when you, if you actually have a claim, then your rate goes up. You have to pay more. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, like how, you know? Um, but anyway, the, the going back to the unemployment thing, um, the money does come from the general fund. No, no, it comes from, like you said, it comes from the employers. It is an insurance fund. So okay. I want to give so your just, listeners that. It's just those fees that are collected. That's all that yes. we have to draw from when we write Joan's check this week. That's where that money comes that, from. So that's a limited and that does, oh, it, yeah. And I only say that from the standpoint I want to give assurances to, to your listeners that there is not their tax dollars per se from, you know, their property taxes or their sales taxes have been involved with this has been that that doesn't alleviate m- much concern because uh, because I guess it, you know, makes you feel good that tax dollars weren't uh, a part of it. But then again, it's still, I worry about those businesses, you know, uh, that uh, are going to possibly have to uh, pay more uh, right at a time there because, you know, I, I just did a recent uh, a Zoom chat with uh, 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 with the treasurer's office. I invited uh, representatives from one from the agriculture industry and one from uh, the restaurants and another from small business and just had them talk to me. And it was an interesting time. We, uh, uh, I guess it was a, a Facebook Live uh, uh, event is what it was exactly. And uh, um, and, the, and the viewership of it was really skyrocketing because there's just a lot of people that really, I feel that, they just don't think that they're they're being heard. You know, they're offering ways that maybe they can, you know, uh, alleviate some of the concerns that allow them to come back and be profitable and 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 get some people back in employment and stuff. But they're they're just not being uh, heard. And man, when you hear these stories about businesses that have been in, you know, a family for generations, like three or four generations, and they're closing the doors, that's really sad. Yeah. It's going to hurt us all in the long run. I mean, it really is. Yep. Um, I, in my opinion, I, you know, you, you have to, you know, well, I'm, what, what the heck do I know about a healthy economy? I just know what I've lived through in, in my life. And I know that when small business especially, um, you know, it's the mom and pop stuff. And even though we still, everybody buys everything from, you know, the online distributors, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? It's still the mom and pop stuff where we're going um, to, to get our nails done, where we're going to get the dog groomed and walked, where we're going, you know, there's still a huge percentage of our economy that is the small guy. Um, and you can't, you know, you put those out of business and, and you know, I think it's going to hurt us all. But that's just my, my mm-hmm. rant. Get me my soapbox back. Um, okay. um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about um, is, and that I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about, and going back to the state budget, um, when, when we have a request or, to use the rainy day funds, is that just automatically granted? Is there a process? I mean, does the governor just say, okay, we were going to be doing this, and then that's what you have to do? Or is there a pro- – or the legislature, for that matter. Or is there a process? Is there some sort of procedure in order to release those rainy day funds, or is it just when the power that be that bees decides that it should be? Boy, I butchered that. No, it, 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 it's a, it, yeah, it's a, it's a legislative process that requires a supermajority. So it takes, uh, it takes uh, the uh, uh, extra uh, margin – uh, in the legislature to uh, uh, pass it, and uh, it's purely how it becomes, you know, concerned to a few legislators. You know, I, uh, just pretty much like any other legislation, but there isn't really a, like a, a a request that comes in from a particular agency or not. It just is legislation that uh, says they've identified that we need uh, this money to either, you know, in the past we used the rainy day fund, which I spoke against uh, to, um, uh, to help uh, close the gap with the McCleary decision. And I think I spoke on your program before about that, that I was very opposed to that because it's like, this isn't a rainy day situation. You folks have known about this situation, about the McCleary and the funding of education. It's very, their Supreme court decision for years now, we're just now, you know, getting compliance to it. And, so this isn't qualify for a, a rainy day because I believe that the the rainy day fund will 
when um, uh, when economics are when the state revenues are doing the way that they had uh, there in the uh, uh, right before all this COVID hit, and we were really doing very very well. I just don't think that we could actually save enough in that rainy day fund because I just envision how things, and I know that maybe kind of future driven and some people just envision a major earthquake uh, that might hit the area that some people say we're due for and the amount of infrastructure damage that it could cause. I mean, the, you know, one of the last big earthquakes, uh, they had to relocate the legislature because, you know, the dome shifted on the building up here. It was a, uh, is major, and you think of crumbling bridges and other things that could uh, 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 could take place. And so, I just don't think that the rainy day uh, fund is appreciated enough that we really need to have, you know, um, a, a few months of uh, operating cash in there to make sure that the um, uh, the government can survive a uh, uh, some type of a calamity like that. Because after all, that will help. Pull it through, uh, pull us through a situation like that when the when the public sector is still well funded and can be in operation and can be operating and help uh, facilitate recovery. That's essential. If government has to shut down with everybody else. Uh, that's not you know that that can't help facilitate recovery. No, that's chaos. That's chaos when that happens. Um, yeah. Okay. Another one, and, and thank you for being so, you know, for explaining this stuff, because I don't think enough of us really know how things work when it comes to money and our state. Um, so I appreciate that you're willing to kind of break it down and, and, and explain this to us. Because if you don't work at it every day, you just don't know. Um, you know how mm-hmm. your budget works, and you assume that it's the same for the state, and obviously it's much more complicated. But what I'm hearing you say is that if those rainy fu- day funds are going to be tapped, it has, there has to be a meeting of the legislature to do that. Yep. Yep. That's true. Is that there it is. And that's why if we don't have a special session, there's money right now that can be allocated. And as far as I'm concerned, a very good purpose. And that's this COVID recovery. But uh, they took the uh, 200 uh, uh, million from it and uh, allocated that out to a couple different uh, sources before they left town. And now uh, it will take uh, the legislature to come back in the session before we, uh, we do that again. So, uh, it's a uh, 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 it's really surprising how popular the idea of a rainy day fund is in governments. It's not really unique. Almost everybody, you know, they call them different things: budget stabilization accounts and things uh, uh, throughout the country. And I so I talked to other state treasurers about it. And, and by the way, it's a good. Um, uh, I think it's not only a good practice for all governments, including your listeners. You know, uh, cities and your uh, uh, counties to have uh, uh, at least, if they don't have a separate uh, rainy day fund, they should at least have a, uh, a, a designated amount that they want their ending fund balance to end with, which is basically you know, your cash in the bank. It would never go below. So you basically have a rainy day fund built into just your uh, operating cash. Uh, there's several ways of doing it, but there should be some mechanism that uh, allows for uh, uh, this type of uh, practice to be done in all governments. And I believe in the state we should have uh, something similar to the rainy day fund for other funds than just the general fund. we got a lot of funds here. And the general fund, of mm-hmm. course, is the biggest. But I, uh, uh, we recently were able, when we did a refinancing in the treasurer's office, because we're giving great uh, uh, latitude in helping uh, create uh, the financing when we go out and uh, structure debt, uh, for um, the state, when we did the financing for the 520 betterments, uh, they you know they just recently completed some construction on the 520 bridge, and um, uh, and when we uh, put out the financing for that, we built a mechanism there that basically uh, set aside some tolls early and uh, and created a rainy day fund associated with that uh, because uh, there's you know there's tolls there. Well. Uh, Lo and behold, this this uh, a crisis hit. Uh, fares have gone down extremely. About you know the, you, I, I don't know if you heard the figures, but some of our toll revenues were down ninety percent. Ferry uh, uh, ridership went just plummeted uh, during this time, and because of that one financing that we were able to do a five twenty that built in like a rainy day balance into those transportation funds. 
uh, we think we're going to be able to, even though the revenue is drastically reduced there, we're not going to have any problem making uh, debt payments there because of that. And so those good practices should be, um, should be extended throughout government. Um, well, quite frankly, they should, be, they should be utilized in private business too, right? I mean, we should always be, all of us should have some emergency cash set aside, and government's not unique in that manner. Whoops, I guess there was a little glitch there, Dwayne. You were talking about building in these best practices where you can build in uh, your, your uh, emergency funding into the budget when you do a project, and that you can do this for small business as well. It's harder. You have to think ahead, and you have to you know, show some restraint because you know, some people, they get a dollar in their pocket, and they've got to spend it that day. Um, but it's, it's doable, and what you were calling these best practices – those are what's going to keep our economy rolling um, in, in these times. And so, you know, it's kind of, I, I don't think, though, you know, another issue, another soapbox for me, but I don't, we don't teach people how to do money. We, do, we just don't, you know. I mean, and, and that's a shame. Um, no, I, when, I would totally agree. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just a shame. And, and I see this with small business. I see this with uh, personal funding. Um, you know, I mean, it's just uh, my, my uh, daughter and son-in-law are CPAs. And I have to say, I am just so very proud of them because they do this. They do that. You know, I mean, they bought a modest home. They didn't buy the home that they qualified for. They bought a modest home. And there's, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, yay. And I, I would like to say they learned some of that from me. But Honestly, I don't know how much credit I can take. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But because they have the training, they have the education about money. And, um, of course, not all CPAs know money, I guess. But anyway, it's just a really important thing. And I think that's one of the things that I like about you is that you are building that in and that you're so interested in educating people about this. That being said, I want to talk about this shortfall. What's the difference between a shortfall and a debt? I mean, there, a shortfall means that we're anticipate, I'm anticipating spending $100 next week. But, gee, it's Monday, and I only have $85 in my account. So I have a $15 shortfall. Is, is that right? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, uh, I'm saying so that is different from, from lost revenue or lost – it's a different thing. We haven't spent it yet, so we can do something about it is my point. Exactly. A lot of people don't understand. You know, a lot of people get lost about the fact that the, tra- that the government works off of, uh, you know, budgetary figures that when they say uh, we are uh, – the budget is uh, – uh, uh, there's a budget shortfall. Well – that doesn't necessarily mean that the entity is out of cash. That means that the budgeted figures that you originally budgeted for is not necessarily being met. That's why it's really important. Uh, uh, A lot of people think, well, isn't that that redundant work that you do? But here at the treasurer's office, our primary focus as the treasurer's office is an eye on cash balances, actual money in the bank not OFM, uh, Office of Financial Management, that lives in the realm of the budget uh, to where they uh, uh, you know, are basically spending uh, appropriations and they have estimated revenues. And how well those are uh, meeting expectations is, uh, uh, gets reconciled at the end. But someone has to be watching the, uh, that ending fund balance to say, uh, irregardless of what you say as a budget, you're running out of cash. <laughs> That's the treasurer's office uh, 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 role. Is uh, we maintain uh, the cash balances, and we also uh, uh, watch over the investments in that cash to make sure that they're uh, safeguarded, um, with the exception of the unemployment fund <laughs> that we talked about earlier. Well, so during this last legislative session, when they put together the budget for the next biennium, which is the two-year cycle, I believe. Um, Mm-hmm. They increased that budget. They, every, every, we all do. Every time oh, yeah. you do a budget, you mm-hmm. increase what you're going to spend for next year. That's how things grow. Mm-hmm. However, if we just didn't do any of those increases, which I know we've already done that, uh, some of them, so it's a moot point, but just for, for the information, if the budget increased 
spending for next year. They, they budgeted more for next year, anticipating more money for next year. So they increased the budget by, and I'm not sure the exact figure, is it 20%, 18%? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, something yeah. around there, yeah. Yeah, so they, they just ratcheted up what we could expect, okay? You know, I earned $100 this month. Next month I'm going to earn 110 so that's what I'm going to budget for. Um, but now we're not getting that extra money. So could we just not, theoretically, just not stop with any of those increases? Exactly, and, and that's what needs to be. That's why a special session would be so helpful is they basically have to relook at the budget and say, the money's not coming in like it did. We have to ratchet this down. Okay. If they just kept things the way they were last year, would that take care of this budget shortfall, or would that not be enough? No, no, because they, they, we've budgeted for a, a revenue that's not going to come in. So basically okay. they, need to, you know, uh, they need to address the budget and say that uh, there's a big shortfall in revenue projections and so uh, that uh, de- uh, some expenditures are going to have to be decreased to, to uh, mm-hmm. reciprocate for that. Just as if you have an anticipated uh, um, uh, increase in uh, revenues, uh, uh, there's no reason why those have to be budgeted to be spent. You can just let them go to fund balance. Uh, they don't hurt anything there. We'll keep them safely invested to make sure that, uh, uh, and then they can be, the, the excess of those can be put into the rainy day fund uh, to where they're even a little bit further protected. But one of the ending fund balance, basically like your checking account balance, uh, kind of related to personal terms, uh, that is should be viewed as contingency type funds. Also, normally when accountants look at you know your uh, contingency uh, uh, funds that are available for uh, uh, coming up to a uh, a crisis in government, what we are able to you know use to uh, pull us out, it's a combination of your uh, stabilization accounts or your rainy day funds plus your ending fund balances and. Uh, that's another gripe that I've had is we have taken our ending fund balance of the general fund to extremely low levels in the past and to the point where it doesn't help that you have, uh, you know, so much in the rainy day fund if your ending fund balances are basically that you're, you just got enough money in there to, uh, to basically clear the, uh, uh, to clear the checks. Uh, that's not adequate either. That's why, the rainy day fund in Washington State, I, I believe, and I've been advocating for this as part of, as a member of the uh, of the um, uh, Economic Forecast Council uh, membership that I have, is that I believe that we need to take a little bit better approach of monitoring the balances we have and taking a more aggressive management uh, um, of the rainy day fund. Historically, what Washington State's done is we got a formula of how much we put into there and that's it. And so hopefully some accumulates over there. And fortunately, most of the time it happens. It's all kind of like, <laughs> almost like, it's kind of like putting your spare change into a, uh, a jar. Um, after a while it accumulates and you're able to buy something nice of it. That's how we've kind of been doing it in the past. Other states take a much more uh, uh, like your son or, and daughter would have. They take a much more aggressive planning approach to it to say, how much for an economic downturn, what is the ideal amount to have? Uh, uh, let's come up with a projection. Now let's develop a plan to get us there. And if we ever draw those funds down in a substantial way for any whatever reason, how much time do we have to put that money back? All that mm-hmm. kind of structure doesn't exist in uh, in our way of thinking in Olympia currently. It's yeah. more like I got some spare change in my pocket. I put it in this jar, and after a while, a nice little sizable amount accumulates in there. And that's not that's not practical. Yeah, I think you know so much of what you're saying about the state budget. It, it it's so it, it's just uh, so, a larger number of dollars compared to our, our home budgets, you know, and I know that you started a program online where people can learn more about uh, personal finances as well as the state budget. What, mm-hmm. can, can people learn, go online and learn more about what we've been talking about just now about how the state is saving money and all that? 
Well, uh, mostly that's kind of more of a personal development type uh, modules we have there. We're always expanding the things that we have to offer. Maybe we'll do more of a civic-minded uh, uh, topics in the future. We're always looking to, to increase uh, and uh, uh, the opportunity of what we offer online. I'm really proud about the modules we have now that we're trying to hit things in different you know, age groups. Uh, uh, they're both in English and in, in Spanish. But uh, we are uh, constantly looking for new concepts of things to, uh, uh, to put out there for people to learn. And, and you're right, maybe uh, in the future, some of this more civic-minded things should, uh, um, uh, should uh, uh, be part of that mix. Uh, uh, one of the things that concerns me the most about uh, finance, we wanted to try to get to some of the segments of society for financial literacy that we think are being underserved. But uh, one area that really is, is a concern to me primarily right now is I think that we have a lot of young uh, folks that are uh, graduating from uh, high school, uh, entering into the, going into that time where they need to make a decision about college or you know trade school or, or whatever. And uh, there's two things in their life that right then that they uh, are faced with that I think that we have not properly equipped them with enough, and and that's an education about the perils of uh, credit cards and credit card mm. debt because they're automatically solicited, you know, for they get the solicitation start as soon as they hit 18 about uh, a credit card debt. And the other is, um, is the education uh, for, um, uh, uh, for the price of education, for them to be able to make sound decisions into how much they spend on tuition, uh, you know, uh, what that will look like as a payback to, uh, you know, their future potential earnings. So they can make really good decisions about uh, how much student loans they take out and how much basically they pay for an education or where they go to school. I think that we don't, we, I, I don't think we properly have uh, educated our youth enough in that regards. It, we basically just have had a mentality that um, college education is just always the best way to go and the best you can get is the best you can do and Go for it, and I think that uh, a lot of times that can wind up where people have uh, uh, student debt that is uh, too much student debt. Uh, wouldn't you agree? Oh gosh, yeah, it can be staggering, and I'm shocked. Um, you know, I'm having raised a couple of kids, and um, you know, it, I'm always shocked at the high interest rate on student loans. I mean, mm -hmm. it really is a high interest rate compared to yes. you know just. Uh, other stuff, and nobody mm -hmm. talks about the high interest rate on these loans. It's just that they're available, and da 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 da. Um, you know, I, I mean, yeah, I think it's huge, and I agree with you totally. I mean, does everyone need a college education? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I don't know. Certainly, some fields do, but I, I, as a teacher, you know, I have certainly encountered so many students that just went to college. They went, started at community college, out of high school, and then they, you know, they did that for a couple years, and it, mostly because they didn't know what they wanted to do. You know, if they right. had some sort of direction, they could have just gone into that field. Um, but instead, I, I think there are, are a certain number of students that are racking up debt without really having it be a purpose. I mean, if you, I, one student I know wanted to be a vet, boy, she wanted to be a vet. She wanted it from the time she was in third grade, da, da, da. That's direction. So she knew she was taking on debt and she knew why she was taking it on. And she, you know, that, that was her, she was good with that. But the students who are just going because that's what you're supposed to do, those are the ones that I worry about because yeah, they're racking too. up debt. Yeah. And, and, and for what, you know, for what? Mm -hmm. um, kind of directionless, but well, in all fairness, we live in a culture where if you don't have a college degree, it's kind of like 40 years ago, if you didn't have a high school diploma, you know, um, mm -hmm. there are so, so many kids that have those degrees that if you don't, potential employers think, well, geez, what's the matter with you that you didn't get it, you know? <laughs> so mm -hmm. rocking a hard degree. Even though, even though there's lots, there are a lot of trades out there that can offer you a very nice comfortable living. I mean, you can make a good wage in some of the trades, you know? Yeah. So. Yes. I have a son who, um, uh, he's now doing um, uh, computer developing, um, but he dropped out of college after two years and said, I, and he went to work in a trade. And he said, mm -hmm. my phones uh, are in debt and they're making half the money that I'm making in my trade. And so he mm -hmm. did that for five years and then he decided to go back and uh, do something else, which I was delighted with. You know, I grew up blue collar and 
I keep going, you know, blue collar's great, but, you know, when you hit about 45 and you've been doing it for 30 years, it's pretty hard on you. So I'm, I was delighted mm-hmm. that he did choose to, to um, go back and retrain, but it certainly didn't hurt him, and it gave him great life experience working in a trade, working with other people. And, you know, so there's a million ways to do it, and we're talking personal finance right now, but I think basically we can say the same things about the state budget. There's more than one way to do it, and it's seems to me that it's only by getting people's input that we're going to be right. able to decipher and decide. Um, so I'm, and again, I'm, I'm harping on this, but I'm really going back to that refusal of calling the state legislature into a special session. Um, that's, that's concerning to me. Um, mm-hmm. A couple of things that um, we, I have in my notes that I wanted to talk about, and one is Pension funds. Now, I know nothing about pension funds because I, I, I don't, I'm not a government employee. Tell me about the treasurer's role on the state investment board. What, what, is, what are pension funds? How much is that on, on public? How much do we spend on public pensions? Well, the pension funds are uh, uh, one of the areas uh, uh, that I think that Washington State does an incredibly good job at, actually, uh, we do, we are a, a state that offers uh, through our state and our municipal governments uh, a paid uh, uh, defined benefit plans, and uh, that's basically your de- basic definition of a pension. Meaning, you work so many years, you're going to get this much uh, income, a defined benefit, and they're highly effective, in my opinion, uh, for uh, recruiting and retaining people in public employment uh, in in you know key jobs getting them out of the possibility of private sector jobs, like being a, uh, in my case, I was a CPA, or I am a CPA, and I would have made a lot more money in the private practice. But, you know, a pension was something that uh, you, you know that you can have when you, uh, um, when you, your retirement age, it's a, it's a benefit. So uh, we do have defined benefit plans in Washington State. Not all states, uh, municipalities do, but we do. And, uh, we have them fairly well funded. Uh, I think it was 86% funded status when I came to office. Uh, it went to, uh, 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 it's now, it's been at 88, and I just hear the latest actuary reports have come out and said we're about 92% funded status. That's because of the excellent work that's being done up at the State Investment Board by the staff there. Um, uh, we have 17 pension funds. Uh, they're basically plans, one, two, and three for uh TERS and SERS and PERS, and these are all acronyms that represent different uh, segments of, uh, of uh, state and local government em- employment, uh, teachers and, and, you know, uh, law enforcement officers and so on and so forth. And uh, those 17 pension funds, we have, you know, just, uh, just round up big numbers here. We have over $130 billion worth of assets represents that 92% of funded status. Impressive portfolio, impressively managed making an average of between 75 to 10% return in the, over the last decade. Uh, incredible rate of return, and they just do a great job and they're remarkable uh, of, uh, individuals. Uh, the treasurer does have a seat on that board. Um, I served myself, which is my prerogative to do. I served on it myself to just kind of find out what it was all about my first year of office and uh, – and uh, not all treasurers do. Uh, we're on so many different committees, and you always have the prerogative to appoint someone to those because of your time management and being able to uh, kind of act as a more direct, you know, uh, um, kind of oversee different departments. You not only you can't really be down in the weeds and and all of them, but I did serve on it for a year. Then I have appointed uh, two individuals. Uh, uh, the, both of them, my assistant treasurers, my first uh, assistant treasurer, Sean Myers. Was the uh, uh, was the uh, treasurer of Thurston County, and she came on board and and uh, worked until her retirement uh, just a little over a year ago. And now it's Arissa Rivera, who was my chief deputy of Benton County, serves as my designee on that board. They both are highly qualified to be on that uh, board of my replacement. Of course, um, they have to brief everything through me. Uh, before we take major decisions on everything, and that's easy to do because most things are calendared. And most things are uh, uh, calendared and put on the agenda and talked about for a couple of meetings before action's actually taken, and so it's easy for them to do that. But uh, uh, so in my opinion, 
the treasurer's office is well represented on the board because for the most part it's two heads thinking on this instead of just one and i'm just really proud about the uh, work that the state investment board does um, uh, of, uh, of keeping our pension solvent i think it's one of the things that washington state can look at and say we do a good job at that and uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm 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 really glad to be uh, involved with that because i do believe that it does um, i mean how many pensions are in the private sector anymore uh, not very many, and so uh, not very many at all. And so uh, this is a benefit that uh, uh, we have to keep uh, to be able to recruit people and uh, to you know come to work for like the treasurer's office. Yeah, well, I would love to. <laughs> and I'm sure you can tell yeah. from our previous conversations I'm not qualified for that, Dwayne. I mean, come on. Okay. <laughs> well, Oh, well, you know, I mean, we've got to laugh about something, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. What do you see, uh, I don't know how to even phrase this, but confident, I mean, obviously we're going to hit some bumps uh, financially in our state, in our local governments too. We're going to hit bumps. Are you confident that we have the skill, the tenacity, and whatever it takes to rebuild this? And, And is this, do you see this as, to a varying degree, something that periodically hits? I mean, I've heard people for the last two years saying we're due, due for a, a major recession. Maybe this is it. How, what's your philosophy well, right now? It may be, but I'll, I'll remind uh, viewers, some of those that are, you know, uh, as, uh, uh, as old as me can remember about the billboard about uh, last one leaving Seattle shut off the light uh, <laughs> with, the, with the Boeing and and we've had our economic downturns here before, and they've been very profound, and they're all and they're very severe, and yet we have a remarkable ability to bounce back. And the reason why we do, and I hope that we are able to remember those lessons, is that we've been a business-friendly state uh, for, uh, uh, for all that time. And we attract uh, businesses, big and small, big like Microsoft and Amazon, and Boeing and 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 such and uh, Warehouser in the past and and others uh, and 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 small uh, and regional and agriculture is big here uh, 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 Eastern Washington where I'm from we are a very diverse state a booming economy with a big deep appreciation for uh, for private business however that's changing somewhat and I'm hearing over and over again from people that is not as business friendly as it used to be. And now I hear, you know, now that we're going this economic downturn and the upcoming legislature, there's all this talk again about new additional taxes, a payroll tax, a capital gains tax, additional taxes. I just warn people that what's worked in the past can work again. Is that if we uh, if we if we follow that principle that we're going to stay business friendly, we'll rebound in short order. If we hurt businesses by increasing taxes, you know, jacking up unemployment rates, uh, uh, hitting them with a payroll tax or whatever, uh, uh, which is a form of mm-hmm. income tax as far as I'm concerned. If we start doing that, first we're going to be doing something we've never done before. We're breaking tradition because we're not that state. We were one that has always stayed away from uh, 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 state income tax and those additional type of taxes. Uh, it, it's always worked in the past for us, but if we change our game plan and think we're going to tax our way out of this, that doesn't work. Because the solution's on the government, the solution is in a private industry, and the best thing government can do is to try to help private industry, not hurt it. Yeah. I and I couldn't agree more. I, I you know, and it's interesting, um, you know, I mean obviously I'm not a teenager anymore, but it, it it's it's interesting to go through a number of these cycles, a number to to live through a history. Because you do get a perspective. You do see what happened with that one, you know, when that happened mm-hmm. and, and how was it handled and how was it successful and how wasn't it. And after about three or four or five of these cycles, you start going, uh-huh, this is what's going to get us out of this one as well. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of people don't have those experiences and those backgrounds. One of the things that I have, Duane, and I'm sure you're very interested in this, is a big long list of what I'm going to do when they appoint me queen of the world. And one of those things, <laughs> and, I, and I'm, I'm sure that, that appointment is imminent. I mean, I'm sure of it 
But one of those things is that I'm going to require every person, you know how the British have their gap year after kids get out of high school? I'm going to appoint yeah. a work year where every single person has to have their own business. They have to do their own taxes. They have to pay their own payroll. They have to do all of those things. They have to look at the margins. They have to, they have to run their own business for two years before they can run for public office. Don't you think that's a good rule? <laughs> <laughs> I have actually never heard anybody conceptualize that before. Are you sure you wanted to say that on your radio program? I mean, I, you, you might want to keep you, – you might have just forfeited your copyright ability on that one. That's, that's, a, uh, that's a book you should have wrote. I like oh, that idea. Okay. Well, I think it's perfect because and – and you could add on to it. I think that everybody should work in manual labor. It used to be kids worked manual labor in summers. And so you got that experience, you, you know, what it's like. But kids don't work manual labor for the most part anymore. Um, no. They're taking summer no. classes and they're doing, you know, all this fancy stuff. And so a number of decision makers, once they, once they get elected to public office, they're the decision makers. And if there's this huge, huge roles and experiences that they've never even come in contact with, like manual labor or, you know, running a business or whatever, now all of a sudden they don't have any of that experience, but they're out making decisions that will affect those people. I think that's wrong. I, I think that we need to make sure we educate people about a variety of human roles. So there you go. And I'm sure that with that being said, you're going to vote for me to be queen of the world anytime, any all moment. Right. I'm you going got to my vote. Crown. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Dwayne, we did it again. We, we spent another hour and I still, I can't believe it. I have, I have so many questions still, so I'm, I'm just going to prevail upon you that when things settle down for you again, you can come back. Hopefully, if there's another session of the legislature, they're going to be talking about money, and uh, we, we can learn from you and get an interpretation of, of what they're thinking and what they're saying and where we're going to head. Always a pleasure to work with you, Dwayne. Always a pleasure to get your information. So good. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Valley Talk. We're, we're here every Sunday night, 6 p.m., and Tuesdays at 6 p.m. as well right here on Valley 104.9 FM. You're listening to Valley 104.9 FM, your Valley community radio station. The following newscast does not prescribe any medical advice, directly or indirectly, as a form of treatment for any medical problems without the advice of a physician or medical doctor. Welcome to That's Edible, I'm Daisy Oz. In this show, I'll be presenting the parasite-killing, cancer-fighting, super-herb, wormwood. Wormwood, or Artemisia absinthium, is a pungent perennial that belongs to the daisy family. Many species of the Artemisia family tend to have strong medicinal properties. It grows wild in the U.S. along roads or paths like an unknown superweed. Wormwood is perhaps most famous for its use in the alcoholic beverage absinthe. However, it has been used in Chinese medicine for thousands of years to boost the immune system, treat cancer, and kill parasites, just like its name reflects. It contains artemisinin, which expels roundworms, threadworms, tapeworms, and kills parasitic larvae quite effectively. Let's zoom in on this parasite-killing, cancer-fighting superherb. Wormwood contains antimicrobial and antifungal agents that kill pathogens like Candida, Salmonella, and E. coli. Unlike antibiotics, microbes and parasites don't generally develop a resistance to the herb. Specifically, the trio, wormwood, black walnut, and clove, as a combination, are able to break the parasite's life cycle. Hence, it's recommended as a parasite cleanse, in my experience, once to twice a year. And this super herb is already used as an anti-malarial drug. Now it appears that it's becoming an effective cancer treatment because it kills cancer cells without compromising healthy cells. A team of scientists from the University of Washington have synthesized Wormwood's artemisinin and discovered that its extract can selectively kill the cancer cells without causing damage to the healthy ones. The researchers note that it can be more than 1,000 times as effective as chemotherapy. Study senior Dr. Sasaki says the compound is like a special agent planting a bomb inside the cell. While most of the chemotherapies currently available destroy roughly one normal cell for every 5 to 10 cancer cells, this new wormwood method kills roughly one healthy cell for every 12,000 cancer cells. 
What a potent preventative from nature's backyard, the super herb wormwood. And yes, that's edible. I'm Daisy Oz. Thanks for listening. Be brave and add some edible plant medicine to your diet for healthier living. Check out my archive shows and more at daisyoz.com. That's Edibles, produced at Daisy Oz Productions in Chewila, Washington. My theme music was provided by Scott Holmes. 